Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and with my show co-hosts Mitch and Anne, we'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present, and acknowledge that this land was stolen and sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, My guest today is a compulsive drinker who's recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I'd like to welcome John to the show. Hi, John. Hi. Thanks so much. Uh, So, John, the basic um, tenet of the show is that we talk about your life Mm -hmm. and we like to start early and look at the things, you know, in in your family, your family, I guess your family dynamics and the sort of things that influenced you to take the path you took. Mm -hmm. Well, um, it's hard to know where to start, really. Uh, I I, I grew up in a quite quite a comfortable family. It was a fairly middle class family. Uh, It was um, four kids. in a very short space of time and uh, lived around the Bayside area. Alcohol was definitely always there in terms of, um, you know, when my parents went to parties and, and things like that, there was always just heaps of red wine. You know, this is a small child. I remember seeing a lot of that around. And uh, it was quite an issue for my father for uh, for some time. So uh, each of, each of uh, um, me and the siblings remembers at least one time when they tried to uh, tried to outdrink our father yep. to um you know either to in hopes that you know that would make him stop faster or or to keep him you know to keep him company because you know we felt like we had to yeah kind of thing uh that was sort of more later in our teenage years um do you have any more specific questions about oh, well uh, i guess um you know you talked about your dad's drinking so was was his drinking a problem to him yes it was okay. Yeah, it was, um, I suppose, kind of reactive drinking. And um, I think one one lesson I've taken from his life is that, you know, not everything fits the straightforward sort of AA narrative because yeah. he had a, a fairly high-stress position. Um, he he definitely did himself a lot of damage with it. And um, he he reached a point where, uh, for, for one thing, um, my mother stopped covering up for him and... Um, for another thing, he reached a point where he just thought, I'm, I'm going to lose all this if I keep going. And uh, he went to AA for some time. Yeah. At first, he was quite shy about it. Then he really got into it, uh, really enjoyed it, which I think is a credit to him because um, he was in a fairly pro- professional position. And uh, it's sometimes difficult for people who you know normally see themselves as upper echelon to relate to all the people that you meet you know, when you walk into the rooms of AA. Yeah. Um, but uh, he got a lot out of it. Then, you know, Life intervened and life kept going, but it's never been a problem for him since. Uh, right. He has, he has the odd glass once in a while, but you know he, he never he never does himself any damage, and yeah, has hasn't done himself any damage for a long time. 
Yeah, well, that's good news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's great news. I mean, and sometimes I, I worry on his behalf or regret on his behalf because it seems like um, it, it seems like he's he's more aware of it than he would be if he either had never had a problem or if he'd just knocked the stuff off altogether. You know, he seems more aware of it than I am. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so having an alcoholic father, how did that change your life as a kid? Well, mm, that's a good question. I mean, I've, I've mentioned being around when he was when he was drinking. Um, for most of my life, I I just thought it was it was a regular thing, you know, that you, your father drank a bit. Yeah. And, and it was sort of yeah, we um, all did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone did, and it was the cliche that um, you know the men drink and the women are at home sort of thing. I mean, this is this is in the seventies, you know. I didn't grow up in the eighteen seventies, but in the seventies, it was quite um, that was sort of the the, the cliche. Um, so at the time, it just felt like he was very distant because he had to be, because he had to be mm. working really hard. Mm. And and looking back on it, some of that distance was because of alcoholism and difficulty with relationships on his part. Yeah. So I guess part of the effect was this put more stress on my mum, and uh, she had more of um, more pressure, and also she did a bit of a bit of sort of um, you know, off-screen complaining about, about things with him. Yeah. So, you know, I guess it partly meant I grew up in large part in conversation with my mother. Yeah, yeah, I can identify with that. Um, so what about your siblings? How did you get on with them? I I was always wanting to get away from them. Um, well, I was getting, wanting to get away from them for a lot of the time. I was sort of a bit fearful of crowds. You know, I still like my own space because there were four of us in a very short space of time. Um, I guess, uh, you know, I, I often had the feeling, oh, they're making so much noise, they're so sort of aggravating, I want to go somewhere and read a book or something like that. Yeah. Were you, and, were you um, the youngest or the eldest? I'm the oldest, yeah, okay. I'm the first yeah. kid. Yeah. So they they tried really hard for me for years and, uh, you know, were quite stressed out about it and then they had me and then um, that, that sort of fixed <laughs> the problem and they had, you know, three other kids very, very quickly. Right, okay. Uh, five, four kids in five years, as my mother often reminds me, you know, it's quite quite a bit of pressure. That's a lot of, that's a lot of yeah. pressure. <laughs> Uh, so what was school like for you then? Did, were you a, a good student? Did you have make friends easily? I didn't make friends easily. No, I was a very um, a very cut off student. And in fact, one thing I related to a lot when I came to um, AA much later was a lot of people talked about always feeling a bit strange, a bit of a stranger, or you know, feeling a bit different. Um, so I spent a lot of time on my own. I just had a a small group of um, friends. I went to an intensely sort of sport-focused school, uh, where you know if you were good at if you were good at the two recognised sports, which were cricket and football, yeah, you you got recognition and all sorts of sort of um, credit and congratulations. And if you weren't good at those things, you didn't, you know. So you <laughs> you, you could have you know I could have been the world's greatest marathon runner, but because marathon running isn't cricket or tennis, uh, sorry, cricket or or football, football. yeah, you know there would would have been absolutely zero recognition <laughs> for that. Um, so I was um, I was kind of withdrawn kid. I had a few sort of fairly nerdy friends, I guess. Um, I became an intensely religious kid, and I think it was partly because um, uh, partly because church had um, church had two things. It had it had uh, girls, which weren't a feature at my school because there weren't any, and um, and I, I could talk about ideas. And you know, I mean, they were all religious ideas because that's what church people talk about. But yep. you know, I couldn't. I couldn't quite get into ideas that thoroughly with um, with most of the kids I knew at school. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, so, moving often moving from 
uh, primary school to secondary school is a bit a bit traumatic. So mm. did you did you find any sort of trauma at that period? Um, I definitely felt much more isolated when I'd gone from one to the other. And uh, one thing I appreciated was, you know, when I made the move, my father took the time to say, look, you know, if you really don't like this, we'll, we'll take you to a different school. And um, I just went along with it because, you know, that's kind of my, my background character. I guess I go along with most things. Um, so, yeah, I did, did feel a bit isolated when I got there. And, uh, and you know, looking back on it, the regimentation and the sports stuff, you know, mm. like I, I just cooperated because I always cooperate. But um, it, it really wasn't um, – really wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't a good fit for my character, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, so were you, were you a good student? Um, once I'd been motivated, yes. You know, for a while I was just sort of so self-involved and so sort of, I don't know, in my own world that I, I, I didn't study really well and I got a few blasts. And um, and the you know, the drive the drive away from reality, I think, is it's sort of one of my lifelong themes. So at some point later in school, I worked out that to go to university, I needed to have mathematics or a language and and also a decent mark. And I, I didn't have a, a hope with mathematics, so I, I just absolutely piled it on with um, with the language and um, really went hammer and tongs at that. And so it wasn't so much because I liked the language, although I yeah. am interested in learning languages, yep. um, but it was because if I didn't go to university, I'd have to get a job. Yep. And, you know, that was sort of the real world and that was a bit scary. <laughs> so I, you know, yeah, so then I was a good student. Right, yeah. okay. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It does. Um, so when were you exposed to drinking um, and, and why did you see that as a good thing? Okay. So uh, obviously I've thought about this a lot over the years. My very first drink was when I was 14. I was right into um, fencing. It was my, my sport sporting hobby that I had on the weekends. And um, I went to a party and uh, got given, I don't know, some kind of mixed drink, a rum and coke or something, and had a bit of it and felt funny and tipped it in a pot plant and put it away until until the end of high school. And then on, on the very night that my high school finished, um, I went out and, and just got absolutely plastered. And um, it kind of set the pattern for a lot of my drinking after that. Um, in terms of, I, um, I stopped being shy, you know, so I could talk to everyone. And then, obviously, I kept drinking. I didn't just you know, reach the not shy point and stop there. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation because I wouldn't have had a drinking problem. Um, I, once I got to the not shy point, I kept going to the point where I was an absolute pest and uh, got really, really <laughs> miserable and sort of, you know, maudlin and um, remember asking my best friend to kill me by running me over with his car and all that sort of stuff. And um, that kind of set the pattern, you know, and then I got, I got home and Woke up the next morning feeling, feeling terrible and I skulked around for a while and uh, a couple of days after that, and my, my mother was worried that I might have, you know, murdered someone or, <laughs> you know, gotten someone pregnant or something. And, and, and so I came clean and said I got really drunk and she said, oh, is that all? You know, you finished high school, big deal. And I yeah. thought, oh, great, this is normal. You know, the, the way I drank's normal and, you know, I'm going to carry on. So, so did you experience the, I guess, the euphoria that a lot of alcoholics talk about in that? like you felt like everything was okay like i've heard it described as tightening all the loose screws that eventually yeah that's a pretty good description yeah absolutely yeah i yeah people say you know 10 foot tall and bulletproof um yeah, yeah as i as i was progressing into 
that drinking. That's how I felt. You know, I could talk to everyone and, um, you know, this was a motif throughout my drinking was, you know, when I had a few into me, I thought, you know, this is great. I can talk to anyone. I'm completely charming and interesting. You know, everyone's fascinated by me. No one's, uh, (laughs) there's nothing to be afraid of. Um, And I'd I'd keep going, you know, so to the the point where obviously from the outside, it would look different to that. (laughs) Um, A lot of people drink to blackout. Did you, was that something that happened early? That was an absolute feature of me, and it happened yeah. quite early, yeah. yes. So um, do you want to talk about what, what that means? Because a lot of people don't really understand blackout drinking. Sure. Yeah. No, I'm happy to talk about that. So blackout drinking, as experienced by me, is that um, I drank, and at some point um, I don't remember what happened. So I still walked around, I talked to people, I did things, I went to places, But the next day, I would wake up with absolutely zero memory of it. I would just sort of vaguely remember the beginning of the night. So that's the blackout. And the the terrifying thing is, you then have to ask people what you did. Yeah. Um, So I was was a fairly sort of middle-class kid. You know, I didn't have it too bad. I've met met people who've sort of woken up in the cells. And, um, you know, I, I met one guy who... The, the cops used to um, play a few jokes on him and, you know, say, oh, you, could, you killed someone last night just because they knew he had, he'd had a blackout. Yeah. They knew what happened in blackouts. They knew that that would really scare him because, you know, anything was possible. Yeah. Um, so spasmodic, unpredictable blackouts. Yeah. I guess that's the other thing, you know, that a lot of people might not know about blackouts because it's a bit of a cliche, you know. There's fun yeah. movies like The Hangover and stuff like that yeah. where – someone who really goes hard and it's great and they have a good time and they wake up and they don't remember, so they must have had a good time. Um, My blackouts weren't predictable. I couldn't, and this took me a while around recovery to to work out, I couldn't sort of lead the sort of life where I'd say, right, tonight's Friday night, I don't have anything on for the weekend, I'm going to get hammered and have a blackout and it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, I could I could go out for a sort of couple of civilised drinks on Tuesday night and, and wind up having a blackout, you know, so... It was. It was. I couldn't predict what would happen once I'd had the first drink. Yeah. So, were you a binge drinker? Um. Yes, I think that's a fair saying. Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of binge drinking. Yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't binge every time. Um. And you know, so I had times where I just had a few beers and went to bed, sort of thing. You know, ran out of beers and just uh, just finished the evening. But but I absolutely did binge. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So how did how did this affect your relationships with other people? Oh, did God. people sort of steer clear of you or were they attracted to you? Um, well, I think a lot of, in retrospect, a lot of, a lot of you know, sensible, interesting and worthwhile people steer clear of me because, you know, there's, there's nothing you can talk about with, um, with someone who's, who's that far gone, who's that drunk. You know, there's, you can't, can't really have a relationship with them. You know, they, I mean... They think they're having relationships with people, or at least I, I did. Yeah. But when I was absolutely, absolutely um, in the middle of blackout, you know, obviously I don't, I did, don't remember anything people said to me, you know, no. so I didn't really take much in. Um, some people stuck around because they liked me when I wasn't drunk, and and the the blackout that got me into um, AA was, um, you know, part of it was my my housemate and and at the time best friend who I had to convince him that I'd had a blackout because he didn't have blackouts because yeah. he's not like me. Um, he said, look, you know, you, you're a nice person, but when, um, when, when you're drunk, you know, 
I'm embarrassed to know you, and you know nobody yeah. really wants to be the person who bought you somewhere. Yeah, that's <laughs> not. Yeah, so I, I think I missed. The short answer to your question is I had nice friends all the time. Yeah. I had decent friends all the time. Um, I had relationships in which the other person put up with a lot, you know. So I could be yeah. quite quite personable the rest of the time. I do think I missed out on a lot of a lot of um, you know good relationships and rewarding friendships because of it. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. We might take a short break there. Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. We're talking about ecological thinning and subsidised longing, but we basically mean the same things, don't we, here? Wherever there are chemical corporations around the world, they're constantly trying to chip away at regulations. Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories, from developments in government and industry to the campaigns and communities that are standing up to them. Earth Matters plays at 11am Sunday and 6.30am Wednesday. Turn your dial to 855am or listen online at 3cr.org.au. While the headlines have subsided, the nuclear power plant is still not under control, with the spent fuel rods removed from only one out of four reactors. Law needs to change so that uh, our rights can be recognised, so that decisions in relation to the use and exploitation of our lands is ours. Ah, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio. 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts of the show, you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone or email. Uh, today I'm talking with John and we're talking about compu- his compulsive drinking and recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so John, uh, before the break we were talking about uh, the sort of drinking you did, you know, blackouts and binge drinking. So do you want to talk about how your drinking affected your life, you know, as you, uh, I think you said you went to uni. So was, you know, from, I guess from uni on, what, what's your, um, how did, how did your life pan out drinking? Okay, well, I'll be completely honest about this. I'm never 100% sure how much of it is drinking and how much of it is just, you know, me in general, and obviously yeah. the two are engaged. I didn't I didn't finish uni very, um, very clearly. Partway through, taking forever to finish uni and dropping out of a lot of subjects, and in a large part because I was busy, you know, abusing alcohol and other things, I drifted into work in the public service um, in, in a, a department where... None of nobody particularly wanted to be there. Um, <clears throat> I guess you know. Should I say which department? What do you reckon? No. no? no. Okay. Yeah. Happy happy not to. <laughs> but uh, nobody who worked there particularly wanted to be there. Uh, it was similar to school in as much as there was a, a mass of um, people who just sort of lived for the weekend and um, didn't you know didn't have any any interests beyond sport. And there was a, a small group of discontented um, bohemian types there. But it was a big public service department. There were a lot of interesting 
jobs available and you know yep. things that needed doing and um i i drank my way way out of quite a few um opportunities there um at one stage i I've, this was how the public service worked back then um i'd sort of stuff up and they'd pass me around to another area so it was sort of like a grenade with the pin going out because it was much easier to just sort of make you someone else's problem than to um get rid of you um so i wound up getting a job that required me uh, that required someone who'd had a bit of experience everywhere <laughs> and I briefly got my experience, got my act together. Yeah. Um, this was, you know, with the help of seeing psych- psychologists and reading self-help books and all this sort of stuff. Um, so I got this job where I, I got to um, drive around in a Commonwealth car and um, help people outside the office. And, um, you know, it was really interesting. I got to use word processes, which were a new thing back then. Mm-hmm. Um, that was absolute dynamite. And um, I lost that job because... I just stayed out at a pub one time too many. And, you know, I just wasn't there in the afternoon and they said, that's it, you know, we're giving you the chance, we're pulling the pin. Um, Also, the job involved visiting various outside areas and, um, you know, they'd offer you a friendly drink afterwards. And uh, I always took this to mean just, you know, as many drinks as I could possibly have. Uh, I do remember one night driving home in the Commonwealth car and uh, almost coming off on a roundabout in the middle of nowhere and thinking, you know, that's not too good. I'll, I'll, I'll sober myself up by sticking my head out of the car. So it was like a, it was like a dog was driving the car. I was sort of driving the car with my head stuck out the window for the wind in my face to wake me up. Yeah. And the thought did occur to me at that time that uh, this probably wouldn't look too good to an observer. You know, it might not look like I was um, completely in, in on top of things. So I guess you know that's that's the short answer as to how it affected my work is that. Um, I, I, you know, I lost some opportunities. I mean, it was very, very hard to get sacked from that place. Yeah. Um, I'll say that. And um, yeah, so I lost some opportunities, and it, you know, it meant to sort of long-term sort of um, discontented mediocrity. Yeah. Right. Okay. So did you leave there? Uh, I I got a job in a different area, yep. and um, I again I felt absolutely ecstatic um, that you know this this move from unpopular public service department to more popular public service area um and that was that was an area that dealt with people um you know i've always i like people i like helping people um and i thought i was a pro so i started wearing a suit a a tie to work you know which normally you didn't have to in the commonwealth public service i'll never forget uh one guy met me outside the office and um years later when he was making a speech about about you know his experiences in in the office he said you know i I met this sweaty sweaty sort of odd looking person with a a necktie with the bow done up sort of somewhere around the middle of their chest and i thought this is obviously a problem client and then i went back into the office and i saw john (laughs) behind a desk so you know my view from the inside was here I am unprofessional I'm on the way up I've absolutely kicked goals by going from yep. unpopular department to more popular department no, his but... view was here's a client you know I hope security have got their act together today sort of thing yep. um, and you know he was telling the story as a credit to his open-mindedness <laughs> yeah so um that's um I don't know, and then I was in that that area when I when I when I started going to meetings Okay. Like in in that that other department when right. I started going to meetings. Okay. So, what what was it that caused you to think that you might need help? 
or you might need to do something differently. Right. Well, when I was 19, um, I was taken to a meeting by my father. Okay. And, and he didn't take me to a meeting because he thought I had nothing on. He took me to a meeting because I'd had a blackout and come home and scared the tripes out of my, my siblings and you know before crashing in, in a bedroom sort of thing uh, while I was at uni. Um, so he took me to a meeting and I was 19 and I didn't want to have a bar of it. It was full of people who'd, um, who'd had problems with marriages. And at, you know, at 19, I was sure I was never going to get married. It was full of people who had problems with work. And at that stage, I was a full-time uni student and just interested in, you know, being a uni student and, um, you know, getting, getting drunk a lot. So um, I came back at about 31 because of my last blackout or, you know, um, in AA terms, I should say my latest blackout because it's always possible for me to have another one. And um, the latest blackout was the first one where I was violent. It absolutely scared the living tripes out of me. It was the blackout where my, my best mate explained to me what I'd done and, and said that, mm-hmm. you know, when I was drinking, he didn't want to know me kind of thing. And um, at that time, I said to him, look, I'll do whatever it takes to make this not happen again. And when I said those words to him, I had no idea what it took. Um one of my siblings was working as a psychologist in a uh, rehab and they they gave me a list of controlled drinking techniques, a little A4 sheet with controlled drinking techniques on it. And they also said, AA works for a lot of people that controlled drinking doesn't work for. And I had a look at the controlled drinking techniques and I just had a feeling that they wouldn't work. Um, the only one I remember was one about counting drinks by moving coins from one pocket to another. And and I just knew I'd just wind up with coins in both pockets and you know <laughs> oh, that you just sort of thing. Swap them, start start them uh, rotating. <laughs> yeah, I have enough trouble keeping track of that stuff. You know, when I'm when I'm not drunk. <laughs> um, by the way, if, if I could go back a bit, I had I fitfully tried to control my drinking when I was drinking, and my technique was either to not drink for one night and go to somewhere where everyone was getting drunk and having a great time, and have a rotten time. That never worked. I mean, it worked for that one night, but you know, I'd have a crummy time and that'd be the end of it, or timing my drinks. And for me, that never lasted more than a half an hour. Would, the, the sequence would be, I'd be at some bash where it was important, you know, not to um, not to carry on too much. I would uh, say to myself, I will have one drink an hour. I would finish my drink in five minutes. I would then chain smoke and um, eat, eat snacks. And at about the half hour mark, I'd think, you know, I'll have the next one now and, you know, That'll be fine. And, and that would always be the end of it. Um, so what brought me along was that last that last blackout yep. and, and being presented by one of my siblings with, with that alternative. That, that They said the religious part's not compulsory and it works for a lot of people that controlled drinking doesn't help. So I came to a meeting wanting to be there. Yeah. <clears throat> so what was it like at the first meeting when you wanted to be there? Well, I was petrified. Yeah. You know, I was really nervous about this group of people. Um, there was a, a, a great atmosphere. It was full of people who were really, really happy about you know their progress and, and what had happened to them since they'd not since they'd stopped drinking. Um, there were these banners that looked quite old-fashioned on the walls with uh, the twelve steps and the twelve traditions, which mm. and you know there were a few banners with um, various AA sayings. They call them cliches. It's the only area of life I know where cliches is a positive thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, you know, simple sayings like yeah. easy does it but do it and think, keep, think, think. and Keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the atmosphere was really good and really friendly. Um, 
I just, I was, it was just the people, you know, the stuff on the walls didn't mean anything to me, and yeah, um, but you know, I, I like the enthusiasm of the people. Yeah. So, what did you get out of the first meeting? Really, all I got out of the first meeting was, um, it's possible to not drink and be happy. Um, I mean, I'd be happy as well. Um, one day at a time. I'm pretty sure I got that out of my first meeting. I say pretty sure because that was a while ago now. And um, that was incredibly important to me, the idea that, you know, you could not drink for just one day and, and not worry about the other days. And and that really stuck home to me because when I was drinking, um, I I had trouble with time. You know, so after that last blackout, I, tr- I, I tried not drinking for about two weeks. Yeah. And it felt like an eternity, you know, it felt like a really particularly unenjoyable eternity stretching out on, on, in front of me. And, um, you know, the idea of, oh, I'm going to have to promise to do this forever. You know, it just felt like a colossal burden. You know, yeah. like, I'm just one person. Hard, How can yeah. I do that? But I can do it for one day. So yeah. that part was what I got out of the very first meeting, I think. Right. Um, so did you want to come back? Oh, yeah, I did. I did, but I was nervous. You know, so like you know, I said before, I'm, I'm nervous with large groups of people. I'm, I'm always, I mean, I get on well with people, but I'm always a bit anxious about groups of people. Um, so I only went to one, that one particular meeting for about, I think about two or three months. And you know, Melbourne's there's AA meetings everywhere in Melbourne, but um, I, I I took took a tram and a bus across town to go to this one meeting because it was the one that I knew, and you know, went past all the other ones to get there yeah. for quite a while. Um, and, and a significant moment for me was, um, my, my father picked me up one morning on Sunday and said, here's, here's some money, buy yourself a big book. They're supposed to be good. And I'm taking this place where there's a lot of meetings and it's close to your home. And, um, so I went, so there, there are some places where, you know, people, alcoholics organize meetings sort of, you know, pretty much every day of the week kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, this was pre, pre internet really, um, so I went to a place where they had a lot of meetings. I could walk there from my home, and I met someone who became one of my best mates in the program. And uh, that that was great because after that I stopped being scared of other meetings. I don't know what yeah. I was scared of. Yeah. You know? I mean, this first meeting was terrific. Why wouldn't the other ones be worth a look? But after that, I got um, I got a friend friends I could call at any time, and um, friends I could go to meetings with. And I started checking out meetings all over the joint. Yeah. And you know that was that was really good for me. Yeah. Oh, it is. That's right. Yeah, being able to, being able to, I guess, hear a lot of different voices, a lot of different stories is really, really good. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we'll go to another break there. Ross House has community meeting rooms available for hire at subsidised rates, perfect for small meetings, student study groups, Zoom conferencing, and seminars. Facilities include free Wi-Fi, display screens for presentations, projector and sound system, and a Zoom conferencing system. HEPA filter units have been placed in every meeting room. You can book and pay via their website, rosshouse.org.au, or contact reception during office hours on 9650-1599. Ross House is a 3CR supporter. every corner of the land womankind arise women on the line a current affairs program devoted to women's voices covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs militantly never you fear erosion of human rights 
leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And today we're talking with John, and we're talking about his compulsive drinking and his recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so, John, before the break, we were talking about coming into Alcoholics Anonymous and being a bit, I guess, anxious about moving around to different groups and things. So, once you got into AA, what was the the thing that you think helped you the most to start addressing your drinking? Well, um, I stopped. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. It's not always like this. I stopped drinking from from day one, from my first my first real meeting, what I yep. call my first real meeting, i.e. the first meeting where I showed up because I really wanted to be at a meeting, not the one where my you know my my uh, family had brought me along. Um, and um, I guess what helped me um, coming back helped me a lot. Um, one day at a time, like I said before, was a massive help, um, and also. Contact with other members was a huge help. So once I started going beyond that first meeting, you know, which felt like a safe space, and um, I got a mate who, um, who sadly is no longer with us, but who I could call at any time. Yep. And you know, I, I once I once rang rang him up at um, one in the morning, and he answered the phone, you know, which was terrific. Um, so I felt I felt sort of protected, if that in an irrational yep. way. I mean, yep. of course, you know, I could pick up a drink any time. I'm always free to do that. But um, the one day at a time thing kept it really nice and simple that, you know, just for today, I'll do whatever it takes to not have a drink. And um, because I kept coming back and kept talking to other members, I, I sort of felt in it. So um, I, at first I was nervous about giving out my phone number. After, I re- after a while I realized that um, other people in AA meetings um, generally don't call, you know, so... Hardly any of the people I gave my phone number to rang me. Um, it is recommended, and I think it's quite wise, that um, uh, you you stick stick to you know one gender. You know they they have an old saying: it's men for men and women for women. And um, yeah. you know so um, <clears throat> and you know there definitely are harassers around AA because you know there's a bit of everything in there. So yeah. I um, I just you know would give give my phone number to other people and. Um, ring them up if I felt the need to call. And um, I can't remember when I picked this up, but ringing people up um, just, just you know, when, when I didn't have anything particular to say, you know, so the, the cliche in a drama might be that I ring them up because I'm on the verge of drinking or I'm about to jump off a, you know, windowsill or something like that. Um, you know, some, some dramatic moment, but I could just ring them up because I had a bit of time to kill. And there was never a problem finding something to talk about because, um, in yeah. my experience, um, yeah. recovering alcoholics are, you know, the most talkative people on the planet, and they'll 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 all cheerfully chat about stuff. So even if I rang them up and you know just said g'day, what are you doing? You know, got much on for the weekend? You know, did you see Seinfeld last night or something like that? You know, yeah. that would 
that that contact with other people was really important. Yeah. 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 So, <clears throat> did your relationships improve once you stopped drinking? Um. <clears throat> Well, I stopped messing them up, that's for sure. So I, <laughs> that's a good improvement. Um, yeah, yeah. so it, it was an improvement in terms of I stopped doing the sort of things that had you know, led people to you know, tell me what, what happened during my blackouts. Um, some, of, some of my relationships uh, didn't improve because they were based on me being drunk enough to not be sort of nervous around the people. And uh, also... You know, if, if you're if you're if you're really plastered and you're in a room with someone else who's really plastered, you know, that's that's terrific. If um, only one of you is plastered and the other one's stone cold sober, it's not very interesting for the stone cold sober person. And uh, no. so I, I had some friendships which which fell by the wayside quite naturally and you know through my own choice because I didn't have much in common with those people anymore. I mean, um, I have to stress, you know. For me, there's nothing nothing sort of culty about AA. You know, I'm free to be friends with anyone I like, um, but you, you change a bit. You know, if, if you're not if you're not um, if you're not sort of drunk every time you talk to some people, yeah. you find that you yeah. don't have a whole lot in common. <laughs> you know, particularly if they don't stop. So, yeah. Um, yeah, they they did after a period of intense self consciousness. I would say my relationships with people got a bit better i went through a brief period of being terribly worried about what people would think about me not drinking yeah and uh it didn't take long to work out most people don't really care about about me not drinking you know and if if you think about it you know you don't sort of scrutinize people to make sure they've got alcohol inside them or not you know i mean most people don't do that so once once that sort of self-consciousness wore off um I, you know, I listened to people better. That's one thing, you know, because yeah, when I was drunk, yeah. <clears throat> I didn't listen to other people at all. You know, I was just mm. on broadcast all the time. And uh, <laughs> when I'm not drunk, and, and it took a while um, around AA to become a better listener. I yeah. think it's partly getting older, partly being around the program a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what about relationships? Did you, were you able to form decent relationships? Okay, as in romantic relationships? Yeah. 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 Um, I was, but it's not, it's not, it's not automatic. Um, they were, they were better relationships in terms of I thought more about about the other person. It was less about you know self gratification. Um, and I was, um, well, I was, I was, I'm more considerate. You know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing inconsiderate things as much. I did have some relationships where the other person was very, very indulgent and you know really put up with a lot of stuff. That, you know. I regret them putting up with, you know, and I've, I've apologised to um, a couple of those people since then about about the stuff they put up with in terms of, you know, me coming home with hangovers and me coming home late or, you know, not coming home kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so how did how did work change? Oh, well, at, at first work felt really strange. Um because why did it feel strange? So I, I continued with the um, other public public facing yep. public service department I worked at, you know, where I was dealing with people coming in off the street all the time. Um, I, I continued with that for a while. I um, I felt a bit sort of naked without, you know, going for weeks and months without drinking for a while. Mm. So I was a bit sort of cautious around people. Um, work functions changed in terms of, of, of because I, I couldn't just um, 
rock along to a work function and get plastered. And I discovered leaving early. That was, um, I don't know, this is more about, you know, my, my non-drinking story than work per se, I guess. But uh, I'd go to some work functions where, you know, people I liked and trusted and got on well with would uh, get get really drunk and, you know, I'd say, well, I, I have to leave early. And I discovered I could leave things early. That was, yeah. that was revolutionary. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in terms of work, I probably became... I became a more reliable worker. I guess, you know, I showed up on time more often, mm. um, didn't get there late as much. Hmm. Yeah, just, I don't know if that answers that question. Yeah, for oh, no, yeah. no, that's fine. Um, so how did your life change generally then? Did you Were you able to, uh, I guess, live in the world a lot easier? I was, yeah, much easier. It's, um, I don't have a sort of rags to riches story in a lot of respects, you know. So when... Um, when you stop, if, if a functioning, a practicing alcoholic stops drinking, you've still got yourself. And, and um, so, for example, uh, there are people who tell these sort of um, revival style stories about how, you know, things were terrible. They stopped drinking. Things are brilliant. Um, it wasn't like that in er- every area of my life. So, for example, I've always had trouble holding on to money. Um, once I stopped drinking, obviously, I stopped spending, you know, everything I was paid for the fortnight in one night, but um, I still have trouble holding on to money. You know, I still have to work yeah. on that. That's yeah. that's a work in progress, as, as, as you might say. Yeah. Um, other areas of my life, like I say, I'm better at listening to people. Um, by now, I'm less worried about what will happen when, when I deal with other people. And, and that's partly because... Um, because I keep coming along to AA meetings and I keep in contact with other AA members, um, I, I kind of have a feeling of what really matters, you know. And so, you know, there's there's that old saying, you know, nobody nobody died, you know, with um, with problems, you know. So of course people get angry and disappointed, and I get angry and disappointed with people, but um, to an extent, you know, nothing yeah. catastrophic is going to happen. No, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that does make sense. So were you able to get more involved with the community? Were you become more social generally and get involved in things? Um, I guess I was. I um, I got into Neighbourhood Watch um, at some stage around, which was um, a big push. You know, this obviously dates me a bit. This was uh, late 80s and uh, got to got to meet people around, around that. Um, I... I sort of, uh, I, I joined a, a, a church and um, really, really enjoyed that. Got to talk people there. Um, yeah, I would I would say so. Mm. Um, that, I mean, you know, there's, it's been about 30 years since uh, since my last drink. So there's been a lot of different, you know, community involvement since then. Yeah. Uh, I lived in another country for a while where, again, um you know, people in people in their drinking stories talk about doing a geographical. You know, going to another country because they imagine this will fix all their problems. Um, in my case, I don't think I would have gone to the other country yeah. if if I'd still been drinking. I don't think I would have had it in me. And so over there, I joined in community things, but I felt like, um, well, yeah, I was I was a bit of an outsider because you know it was another country where I'm quite different to the other people there. Yeah. So what sort of things do you enjoy doing today? Okay, today I enjoy political stuff. Um, I'm in a, a political organisation. I enjoy going to demonstrations and helping helping my comrades there. I enjoy um, 
I enjoy ideas and reading, and uh, I enjoy philosophy. Um, so I, I read philosophy books. I discuss that with pe people I know who are into that. Um, I absolutely love reading. I'm mad passionate about reading. I have, have mates I talk to about uh, the books I read. And um, try to stay fit. I have a kid who hasn't seen me drink, which just feels like an absolute miracle from um, my point of view. And uh, we go to the gym together. That's terrific. Um, I think that covers a lot, really. Oh, and I really enjoy my work. You know, so I, I, uh, I think I mentioned I teach English to adults. Actually, I mentioned to you before the show. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I teach English to adults. I absolutely love doing that. Um, I edit um, uh, an, a paper for some for an organisation that I'm, I'm very simpatico with. And uh, that's absolutely fascinating. And the sobriety part of things really, really helps me with that in terms of um, I've never edited anything before. Yep. It um, puts a lot of uh, puts a lot of pressure on me. You know, you get yep. people getting angry about things and people <laughs> complaining about stuff and uh, all these things I'm not used to with um, with the, the, the teaching thing. And um, I kind of, you know, none of this is going to phase me, you know. So, yeah, that's that's. That's a short summary of the things I'm interested in now, I guess, you know, taking it from the top, philosophy, language, I'm studying a language, um, fitness, politics, you know, that's, um, that's about it for life, really. Yeah. So do you think you could do those things if you were still drinking? I think a lot of them I wouldn't have gotten to do. Mm. You know, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have got around to doing it. I would have. I would have talked about how I should do them, and and. Or you could do them, or. Yeah, yeah. I could do them. I I could absolutely be a contender, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I obviously I, I punished other substances while I was punishing alcohol. I used to absolutely go really hard on marijuana, and um, I remember someone, you know, I had this sort of unhealthy, you know, fellow smoker relationship with someone, and they were saying we should form an artistic movement, and uh, even at the time that sounded a bit pathetic, and I. You know, neither of us did anything about it. You know, neither of us sort of put a single finger to a keyboard or to a paintbrush or anything <laughs> like that. You know, we were just sort of yammering on about this stuff to each other. So, no, I don't think I would have gotten into the language. I don't think I um, I wouldn't have actually gone and studied the philosophy. You know, I would have just made vague noises about it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, when you look back at, at, at those sort of things, that the things that you that you would have done that you've done differently uh, mm. now um, because you've got the opportunity to do them with a clear, a clear oh, view. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's sort of not a very AA thing to have regrets, but um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things I could have done that I didn't do back then. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, um, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can find them in Australia on one three hundred triple two triple two or jump online at aa.org.au for more information on recovery and the available meetings. So that's about all we've got time for today. Uh, so I'd like to thank John for sharing his alcoholism recovery story with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped him. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when I'll be talking about recovery from debt addiction uh, with Stuart from Debtors Anonymous. Uh, it's the first time we've had Debtors Anonymous on, so um, it should be interesting. Coming up next, we've got Balamoire, The Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle Tolgum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in The Spirit of War on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. 
Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.